Well, good morning, Calvary. My name is Chris Rowley, and I get to serve as one of the elders here at the church. Uh, it's always an honor and a privilege to get to open up God's word with you. And before I do that, why don't we just take a minute and pray together? God, we, we just invite you into this place. We invite you into this time. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would guide our, our hearts. Lord, that you would open our hearts. Teach us new things about you that we have never seen. Lord, give us a great awareness of your glory and your beauty and your majesty as we open your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, last week we learned that God had acted miraculously on behalf of the Jewish people. God had enabled them to cross over the Jordan River. Now, if you missed the sermon, you can go back, you can listen on the website and get us caught up get caught up with where we've been. We've been tracking with God's people after they left Egypt as they journeyed towards the promised land, this land that God had promised to them. Now, if you take a look at the map that's going to pop up on your screen in just a second, you'll see the yellow dot represents where the Jewish nation is right now. They've been traveling east to west. Now they're on the west side of the Jordan River. They've crossed over, and they are literally on the verge of entering into the land that God had promised them. They must be so pumped. They are finally almost at the end of their journey. I want you to imagine kids on Christmas Eve excited. Imagine the groom on the night before his wedding excited. Imagine a mother about to give birth to a little baby excited. The moment you've waited for is almost here. And man, did they wait a long time. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Joshua's day, God told a man named Abraham that this land they were about to go into belonged to him and his descendants. God told the Jewish people, this land is yours. But it looked like the promise was not going to be fulfilled because Abraham's descendants ended up as slaves for 400 long years in Egypt. But then God broke onto the scene. God rescued his people and pulled his people out of Egypt. And now, after many years, after 40 years of wandering around in the desert, these people have finally got some momentum going. They've crossed the Jordan River, and they're right there on the edge of the promised land. It looks like they could literally walk into the promised land and just take it for themselves without any fight. In fact, everybody living in the land is terrified of them. Joshua chapter 5 verse 1 says this, it says, all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. So the Amorites, they were the guys that lived in the mountains, and the Canaanites, they were the guys who lived by the sea, they were all terrified. They had heard about what God had been doing on behalf of the Jewish people. 
I like the way that the Net Bible translates this. It says, they could not even breathe for fear of the Israelites. Picture it with me. The people of the land are so afraid. If you've ever had an anxiety attack and you just can't breathe, you know what these guys are feeling. They're terrified. Another translation says that they are paralyzed with fear. Seems like God is on the side of the Israelites. It seems like now is the right time to pounce. Now is the right time to go in and take Jericho. And I think that if I was in charge, I would say, let's go, guys. Let's do it. We're on a roll. God is with us. We cross the Jordan. Let's take it. But at this crucial moment, you know what God does? God hits the pause button. And if you've been following with us the last few weeks, you'll notice that this is not the first time that God chooses to hit the pause button. God did it last week too. When they were on the other side of the Jordan River, God made them wait three days before they got to cross. That's right. God hits the pause button. Right in the middle of them building momentum, God says, stop. God tells them to stop. Did you know that he does that sometimes? I know some of you sitting on your couches this morning, you're thinking, yeah, God does. Sometimes God just says stop. Sometimes when we've got momentum going, God hits the pause button. I think there's a whole lot of us listening this morning. You could testify and you could say, yep, God has hit the pause button on my life. Some of you were in the middle of finishing your senior year of high school and you feel like God just paused your life. Some of you were in the middle of making some important life decisions and you feel like God just hit the pause button. I can imagine that since the beginning of March, many of you are feeling like God has allowed your plans to be totally changed, not the way that you wanted. So let's take a couple minutes this morning and let's figure out why God hit the pause button on the Jewish people's journey. Let's figure out why he did that. And figuring out why God hit the pause button for the Jewish people thousands of years ago is not going to solve all the problems that we're facing today. But I think that by understanding how God interacted with people in the past, you might be able to imagine that, yes, maybe, yes, God is up to something in my life right now, something that I don't understand, but something that could be good. So let's keep reading. Verse 2 to verse 3 says this. It says, At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeoth Harlath. The first thing I want us to focus in on in verse 2 is this, that phrase, at that time. At that time, what is at that time? Well, it's at that time that the Amorite and the Canaanite kings were panicking. At the time that it looked like the Jews could just walk right in and take the land for themselves, at that time, God said, stop. Circumcise all the men in the entire nation. And Joshua obeys. 
This is big idea number one for us to think about today. Big idea number one is this. Following God means obeying God. Following God means that we do what God wants, not what we want. And if you're a God follower, it means that you are a God obeyer. It means that when God says go, you go. When he says stop, you stop. It means he's in charge, setting the agenda, setting the pace. It doesn't always make sense. It doesn't mean that we always get what we want. Now think, think about this for a second with me. Joshua chooses the path of obedience to God instead of the path of military prudence. And that required a lot of faith. Joshua stopping to circumcise all the men in his entire nation means that all his soldiers would be incapacitated for several days. That was a huge act of faith to stop and do what God said just at the moment that they entered into enemy territory. But what we learn from this is that following God means obeying God. It means we listen to him and his plans instead of making our own plans and trying to get God to follow us. Peter hit on this last week, so I don't have to spend a lot of time here, but the idea is the same. Following God doesn't mean that we say, hey God, I got this great idea. Why don't you get on board with what I want to do? That's not following God. That's getting God to follow me. So what does it look like for you to follow God today? Well, the shortest, simplest way that we know how to follow God in this day and age is by carefully listening to the words of Jesus that are preserved for us in the Bible. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit, the truthfulness of the words of God recorded in the Bible show us how we can follow God in our day and age. You know what? You don't need to guess about what God wants you to do. You don't need to wonder. Following God means following Jesus. And Jesus' words have been carefully preserved for us in the Bible. And maybe you're listening this morning and you're not sure how to read the Bible. You don't even know where to begin. And if that's you, we are so glad that you're here. We're so glad you tuned in to be with us this morning. And, and if you want to know how you can read your Bible, I just want to encourage you, get in touch with the church office. Contact them, office at calvaryefc.com, and they would be happy to point you to some resources that would help you learn how to read the Bible for yourself. Now, I want to go back to our text in Joshua chapter 5. If you're following with me in chapter 5, you'll begin to notice quickly, we're going to press into this, there's a, a big difference between the obedience of Joshua and the disobedience of the previous generation of people. Let's read verse 4 to verse 7. I want to give you a little bit of the backstory. Verse 4, this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. 
For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to his fathers, to their fathers, to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children who he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Basically, God had rescued the previous generation from slavery in Egypt, but they all died in the wilderness because they did not listen to God. Even though that previous generation had seen God do incredible things, they made a conscious choice to walk away from God. An entire generation of people had not been obedient to God. And now, it's up to Joshua and this new generation of people to decide, will they be faithful to God? This is big idea number two for us this morning. Each generation must choose to follow God. Your mom and your dad, they might love Jesus, but they can't make you follow God. You must choose. I don't know if any of you enjoy watching track and field races. I don't know if any of you enjoy running. There might be a few crazy runners out there, but in track and field, one of the most interesting, exciting events is called the distance medley. It's a race that takes place on the track, and the first runner runs 1,200 meters and then hands off the baton to the next runner who runs 400 meters. Then that person hands off the baton to the next runner who runs 800 meters, and then that person hands the baton to the final runner who runs one mile four times around the track. In the distance medley, one runner needs to pass the baton to the next runner. But there's more. There's much more than just the passing of the baton that needs to happen for the race to move forward. The person who receives the baton needs to make a conscious choice to run. I can give you the baton, but if you don't want to run, the race is over. And for some of you listening, your parents have passed the baton to you. They have shared with you the incredible, wonderful news of Jesus and how much he loves you. But you have not decided to make the faith your own. I want to speak to people in my generation. If you're a millennial, Generation Y, people born kind of in the early 80s. Lots of you are in your 30s now. And maybe you don't feel like you've got the time or the energy or the bandwidth to actually take the baton and run with it. But this is your time. This is your chance to run. Every generation needs to choose. If you're a Gen Z person born between 95 and 2010, let me speak to you for a minute. That means you're 10 to 25 years old. I understand that's a huge range of people. But it doesn't matter if you're 10 or 20 or 25. 
or if you're in my generation, grab the baton and run with Jesus. Run with everything that he's got for you. Younger generation, not only are you important to Jesus, you are so important to our church. We love you and we need you. Last week, we learned the importance of teaching our kids about what God has done. The passage we're learning about this week adds on to that by teaching us that until the children make the faith their own, the handoff is not complete. Every generation must choose to follow God. Joshua and all the men in his camp, they needed to make a decision. Were they with God or were they not? And circumcision was the way that Jewish men showed their allegiance to God. Nowadays, circumcision doesn't really have too much religious significance for Christians. But in the time of Jesus, in the time of Joshua, it was super important. So what was the big deal about circumcision? Well, way before the time of Joshua, God gave circumcision to a man named Abraham. And God commanded Abraham that the Jewish men, when they were eight days old, should be circumcised. I'm not going to go into all the details of what circumcision entails. I assume most people are familiar with it, but this is what you do need to know. The big idea of circumcision among the Jewish people was this. It was a visible way that a Jewish man showed his allegiance to God. It was a way of showing that they were different than everybody else who was surrounding them. It was a way of showing they were in a special relationship with God. See, the big idea of circumcision, it was never so much about the cutting off of the foreskin as it was about having a heart that was in a relationship with God. Circumcision was an outward sign of an inward spiritual reality. God's words to Abraham in Genesis 17 will help us here. We're going we're to look way back at Genesis God said to Abraham, Abraham, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Genesis 17, 11. The Jewish people were in a special relationship with God, and God gave them circumcision as a sign of that relationship between them. Which leads us to big idea number three. Big idea number three is this, God invites his people to recommit to a relationship with him. At this crucial stage, God's people are getting ready to move into the promised land. God wants his people to renew their commitment to him. He's reminding them of their relationship. Again, from Genesis 17, When God spoke to Abraham, God also said these words in verse 8. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Way before Joshua's time, God made a promise to his people. And now, as God's people are getting ready to enter the promised land God is showing them he kept his promise. 
He kept his word. He got them all the way there to the promised land. But God is showing his people, hey, I want you to renew your commitment to me. God is way more concerned about the condition of people's hearts than he is about a group of people just rushing into the promised land and taking over everything. God wanted his people to be in right standing with him before they went ahead and moved on into their new land. Are you starting to see why God hit the pause button? God's people could have rushed in. They could have taken over cities. They could have enjoyed the land, but their hearts were not ready yet. The Israelites needed to be reminded of their relationship with God. But you know what? Christians also need to be reminded all the time, don't we? We're always needing to be reminded of our covenant with God because we have a tendency to drift. We all have a tendency to drift away from God. When I drive in my car on the highway with my boys, they love it when I drive a little bit over the line and I hit the rumble strips on the side of the road. You know those little grooves that are cut into the side of the road? to keep you from driving off the road? Well, my boys love it when I drive the car over those things. And actually, last week, I was out with, with, a f- with uh, three, the three boys and Kelly, and we were driving, and there was an unnamed three-year-old little boy in the back seat. And we did not want this little three-year-old to fall asleep. And if you're a parent of little kids, you understand sometimes you just don't want the kid to fall asleep because you want them to fall asleep later. So Every few minutes as I was driving, I I turned the wheel just a little bit over those rumble strips just to keep that little guy awake. Now, if you drift a little bit off the highway, the car starts vibrating, you hear a loud noise. Those rumble strips are there for a reason. Those rumble strips are there to keep you from drifting off the road. Those rumble strips are there to keep you awake. Perhaps some of you, if you were honest, you feel like you've drifted a little bit. Maybe this morning you feel like, I think I'm going over the rumble strips. And all of a sudden you're wide awake and you're looking around. Maybe, maybe it's the circumstances that you're going through right now. Things have been a little tough. Maybe you're wide awake, wondering how you've been drifting so long. Maybe it's something you heard, something that you read. Maybe God is just working on your heart today and you feel like you're going over these spiritual rumble strips and you're wide awake and you're asking these questions. Let me ask you this question. Has your heart drifted from God? Maybe you grew up in the church, but you just wandered away. Maybe you've gotten so busy with school or work family, busy with whatever. Maybe this morning you realize that God is calling you back to him. He's calling you to renew your commitment with him just like he did with the Jewish people. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. I want to encourage you to renew your commitment with God. God loves you. The Bible is full of stories of people that have wandered so far away from God. And the Bible is so clear about how God lovingly 
welcomes them back to him. God doesn't make you feel shame when you come back to him. God loves you. This morning, will you come home to God? We normally have a prayer team when we meet in person, and they would love to pray with you. If you have something that you need to pray about, if you have spiritual questions. But since we're kind of isolated right now, I do want to encourage you again, contact the church office, go on our website. We have prayer resources and we have people who would love to guide you in prayer and help you take those steps back towards the God who loves you so much. Now, I bet not too many of us have flown in airplanes the last couple of months. But don't you love it when you're in an airplane and you get up there and you get to see the big picture? You get to see what you've been missing when you're on the ground? Well, we don't always get to see things from God's perspective, which we'll call the airplane perspective. We don't always get to see the big picture of what God is doing. But in our text today, we actually get a glimpse of the big picture of what God is doing. Look at verse 9. God says to the Jewish people, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. There's a cool play of words going on here. I'm not going to get into it. But the big picture here is this. When you see things from God's point of view, we realize something amazing that God is doing in all of this. God is giving his people a new beginning, a fresh start. All the shame, all the humiliation of slavery in Egypt, the wandering in the desert, God is rolling it all away, taking it all away. How good is that? God's offering his people a new beginning. That's big idea number four. God is a God of new beginnings. Now first, some of you are going to like this. First, the God of new beginnings offers his people new food. Look at verse 12. In verse 12 it tells us, no longer did the people need to eat manna, now they can eat food from the land of Canaan. Now, all of you listening this morning, all of you foodies, your ears just perked up, right? You heard new food and you got excited. I know that Kelly and I get excited when we get to try a new restaurant or discover new food. Have you ever been on a long trip, a long road trip, and you eat fast food, fast food, fast food, burgers and fries and burgers and fries, and you get to the point in that trip where you're just like, I just want to eat a salad. Just give me some lettuce, please. Well, God's people, they hadn't been eating burgers and fries, but they had been eating this food that was called manna. And they've been eating it for 40 years. And it's amazing that God provided that food for them for 40 years. But after 40 years of eating that food, these people were really excited. They were going to get to eat some new food in the promised land. When you're living as wandering nomads, you can't really plant crops. You can't really harvest. So as God's people are moving into the promised land, verse 12 tells us they get to eat some new food, which is really good news for them. Secondly, the God of new beginnings, as we learned before, is calling his people back to this new, renewed relationship with him, which is incredible news. And third, 
the God of new beginnings is allowing his people to celebrate Passover for the very first time in the promised land. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says that while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. Can you picture it with me? It's okay to use your imagination this morning. Picture it with me. They're on the plains of Jericho. They know struggles are in front of them. Their past is behind them. And as the sun is setting, God's people gather together to share a meal, to remember how God has acted in the past, and to remind one another that he's going to be with them in the future. Picture the scene. The air is chilly. It's springtime. All of God's people are celebrating the Passover. It must have felt surreal to see God's promises being fulfilled in front of their very eyes. It must have been encouraging as they looked back on the Exodus and how God brought them out of Egypt. And so as God's people are on the verge of entering the promised land, God says, stop. God wanted them to consider their hearts. God wanted them to remember their promise, covenant with him. And God wanted that new generation to decide, will they follow God? Look, I have no idea exactly why God has allowed so many of our lives to be paused or totally changed or altered in ways that we didn't want. I could only speculate. I don't know the future, and I can hardly interpret the past. But could it be that in this season of waiting and pruning and loss, and grief, and frustration. Could it be that God is preparing us for something that's ahead? I do know that the God we worship is a God who can bring new beginnings out of things that feel hopeless. Did you know more than a thousand years after Joshua celebrated the Passover with his people on the plains of Jericho, there was another person named Joshua who celebrated Passover with his disciples. Yes, it's Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of the word Joshua. And on the night before Jesus was crucified, as Jesus was on the verge of the cross, Jesus paused to celebrate Passover with his disciples. But Jesus brings beautiful new meaning to the celebration of Passover. 
Jesus taught his disciples that the bread and the wine of which they partook at Passover represented his body and his blood, which would be poured out for the salvation of mankind. And Jesus taught his disciples that after the cross and after the resurrection, they should continue this practice of breaking bread and drinking the wine in remembrance of what he did for us on the cross. And that's what we're going to pause today to do. Today, through the taking of communion, we're going to remember Christ's death and his victory over death. And so Calvary, this morning, as we take communion together, just like the Jewish people on the plains of Jericho, we don't know what the future is going to be like. Just like they didn't know. Just like Jesus' disciples didn't know. We don't know all the details of the future, but we do know that the bread we're about to take represents the body of Jesus, broken for us on the cross. The cup represents the blood of Jesus, poured out for our sin. And it's through these things that we look back and we remember God's love in the past. In Calvary, we look forward, knowing that God will continue to have grace and love and faithfulness towards his people in the future. If you have your bread and your juice, you can take it now, and I'll lead us through the taking of communion. Two thousand years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth, and he wrote these words to them, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. continues to write in Corinthians. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. we go now to our final song, I want you to pay careful attention to the lyrics. 
the lyrics of the song we're about to sing together describe a God who is infinite in power. The lyrics describe a God who shields his people, a God who tells us who we really are, a God who loves us forever, and a God who has proven once and forever that he is mighty over death by overcoming the grave. Let's pray, Calvin. God, we thank you for your word. God, we pray that you would continue the work that you're doing in our hearts. God, help us as a church, as a community, to continually renew our commitment to you in good times, in bad times, knowing that you will be faithful, that you will be with us, and that you have assured us of that by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. We pray this all in the name of Jesus.